Call us, 877-337-6666. Powered by Paramount+. Plus. Stream the NFL on CBS live on Paramount+. Plus. All right, BT and Sound back on the fan. It sounds like good music for our next guest. Yeah. We got no. We got to We got to stand up and introduce this man the right way. Let's go. Come on, come on. In the house. All rise for the dice man. They're getting on me for wearing the shirt. I bought it. I went back and bought the original Dice Rules tour shirt on eBay. That's one of them for sure. That is an original. And the guy, thank you for confirming that because it wasn't cheap. And the guys are like, "Oh, dude, how pathetic you!" I'm like, "It's dice." What you you want to know? It's so funny. I mean, I don't know if it's like hilarious. (laughs) <laughs> you know, um, so when the original pandemical hit, you know, like for you, not the one today where yeah, like yeah, if yeah. somebody calls you up and goes, you know, I got it, I got COVID, and you go, well, you got to be like an idiot to get it today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like years ago when they had it, like the heavy one where, you know, you know, that was death, you know, that right. was the threat, you know? So when that pandemical hit, I had so many of this, these shirts and others, all all the different merch shirts, right? Original stuff. Original stuff, like stacks and st- thousands of dollars worth. And so I loaded them into giant lawn leaf bags, right? And me and my son Dylan... We started driving around because that's when, like, the homeless really became homeless. Like, they were serious about it. They were, like, setting up camps all over. This isn't in L.A., like Hollywood. And so I figured we'd just wind up in Hollywood. And we start dumping bags in the street of clothes. It wasn't just shirts, but it was sweatpants. As you can see, I wear a lot of sweats. So... It was all like T-shirts, dice sweatshirts, um, you know, a lot of stuff from Gold's Gym, things like that. And I would just, you know, he drove, I would dump it out and say, just share it, you know, jump back in the car. We wound up downtown L.A. where it's like the mecca for uh, homeless, you know, where where I basically would just go in the trunk and open the back window and because that was just... Thousands and thousands of homeless, right? So I figured, why not do something good? Because I'm never going to wear those shirts. Right. You know he could have sold I mean? them, made some oh more money. God, no, but I'm, I'm not yeah. that guy. Yeah, I'm yeah. not the guy that looks to get every nickel. You yeah. know how there are people that they don't quit because it, they're not going to leave a dollar on the table. I was never that guy. That's why we never, love your dice. It was yeah, never all about money. To It's like people are saying to me now, you know, I became like... Uh, this thing, you know, like on uh, the Instagram and the TikTok and the Facebook. Facebook where you have the most bitter of yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't it amazing? That's crazy. The older people get, the more bitter. So, you know, you got the haters on there, you know, that are watching me for like, I, I made it 35 years ago and I, I'm just still cooking, right? <laughs> So, yeah, and I went through a hell of a lot right, to do that, cooking. you know. I mean, and we'll talk about Carnegie Hall in we'll a minute, whatever. Fine, we you got know. February 15th. We got time, yeah, so we'll talk about that. But what's, what's funny is, so I become this thing, 
not trying to become it. Yeah. Like, I, I've had millions of, uh, of when I was doing 80 to 100,000 people a week from, I'd say, 89 to 95, you know, there was no TikTok or who's following me. Oh, please. You just don't my the police were following you back no, then. That's, yeah, that's no, the only no, people you had to worry it, about exactly, following you, honestly. Yeah. But I was like, you know, it was a little ad in a paper, mm-hmm. and I would sell a half a million tickets. I got let me. I got a question for you. So Andrew Dice Clay is in the studio, the Dice Man. So you are 66, right? Yeah. Okay. I turned 50 this summer. We were talking when you came in. My parents are still in the neighborhood that you that you were there, uh-huh. you know, between S and T, right by Michael's Restaurant Avenue, yes. R, right. And I know you went to Madison, and you've talked a lot over the years about how you know, not not no college, you had different type of education, music guy growing up, Elvis. We we know the whole story, but I haven't heard you really talk much about like when you were a high school junior. Did you even go? Were you a burnout? Were you fighting? Yeah, I know you didn't play sports. So what was it was all about? Year old it was all, doing? You know, it's funny. I put up a, a little video last night, just me drumming in a studio. Okay, from like a couple weeks ago. So I put up like I don't know a minute. They're going crazy over this. You know, it, it, they're just going like it's like so. It was all about music to me. It was all about entertainment to me. It was all about the drums at that age. That. I thought I would grow up to maybe be like a Buddy Rich type of drummer. But, you know, I was also realistic. And by the time I was 17 years old, I'm realizing, okay, I could play the drums pretty good, but I'm not going to be Buddy Rich. And there are no big bands today. And it's like my father used to go, he goes, there's one Johnny Carson show with a big band. There's one Mike Douglas, one Merv Griffin. And they get the best of the best. Guys that are great, like, that could read the charts of any singer coming on, you know. And, and so I wind up in the Catskills. Okay. This is unreal. Yeah. At a place called the Del Mar Hotel, okay. Is that near the Neverly or no? Uh, No, it's between Grossingers and Brown. I got you. So I just graduated, and I get a call from my friend Dutch, who was in music with me in, in James Madison, and... We called it the dance band, but it was really a jazz band, you know. So he calls me up, and I know we can't curse, but he goes, you want this effing job? You know, do you want this effing? And he's not a guy that gets angry like that. You know what I mean? I go, calm down. What's going on? He goes, look. He goes, I'm with Mr. Music's son, Lee, which I didn't even know my music teacher in high school had a son, uh-huh. okay? Uh-huh. He goes, I am going to choke this guy to death. Do you <laughs> understand? And I go, I'll take the gig. I'm there. Half hour later, I'm in my car on the way up to the Catskills. And and Dutch is gone, you know, and... So he didn't care much about school at all. He just, as soon as something came up, boom, I'm going. That's it. It's no, I graduated school. high okay, school. Okay, this was right yeah. after I, I got you, yeah, got you, got but you. But what kept me in school was my two music classes yep. were the last two classes of the day. And that's what, you know, and I'm playing the drums all day got on it. my leg. So it was something that kept me in school. Okay. Probably if I didn't have the drums, uh, I wouldn't have graduated, right? So anyway, let me just tell you about this guy, Lee, now. So I meet, and his real name is Lee Musiker, Okay. Okay. And so the minute I sat down with this guy, and you had to be 65 or older to stay at this hotel, 
Okay, it was that kind of like bungalows and it was just retired people. Mm-hmm. The minute I sat down, this guy's like a year older than me. I knew I'm probably playing with the greatest musician I would ever play with. He was the piano player. So it was just a saxophone player who was retired, uh, Lee Musiker and myself. And this guy would scream at me because he's a state-of-the-art player. He is one of the best in the world, as far as I know. And so when I didn't follow the written chart, you know, he's on the piano going... What is wrong with you? Can't you see that you're supposed to accent over? And I didn't get mad at him because I knew how great he was immediately. And I'd be like, hey, Lee, I like to swing, Mm -hmm. right? And then we became very close. And late at night, we would do what I would call SWAT missions. We would climb down the edge of our building where we were staying, where the help stayed, sneak into the main house, it wasn't like grossing as a Browns. They were like big houses. But the main house was giant where everybody would eat and hang out. And uh-huh. We'd sneak into the kitchen. You understand? Yeah. We'd steal all the fresh baked goods because the cook slept right off the kitchen. <laughs> so we couldn't wake them and we would steal the bagels and the butter. You understand? And I could never figure out, like, how'd this cook wake up? And make a whole new batch of cookies that quick. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. the thing about Lee, see, I knew how great this guy was. That's why I wouldn't get mad at him. When he left the Catskills, toured the world with Buddy Rich, okay? That's how great he is. So you... Oh, wait, wait, let me okay. just finish. I, oh, I just want to give his credits just because, you know, uh, conducted Starlight Express, conducted the Jerry Lewis telethon. He's like a maestro, this guy. And for till the end with Tony Bennett, I mean, the last time... I went to see Lee perform. He was at uh, Radio City Music Hall for Tony Bennett's 95th birthday where Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett. And I'm looking at my friend who, you know, you flash back to him being, you know, a kid screaming at me, you know, you know, and there he is, Radio City. That's wow. pretty exciting. Full circle. Wow. You know? wow. BT and Sal on the fan. We're talking with Andrew Dice Clay in studio. He'll be at Carnegie Hall February 15th. Obviously, there's a ton to get to here. So off of that, right, you always wanted to be Elvis or the music and all this different stuff. How did you go from that? And by the way, your your initial act with Jerry Lewis and, you know, turning into a different character, just mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant stuff. How did you go from that to the filth, the act of filth? Well, the thing is, you know, it was a different time. You're talking about the 80s, you know, so I was really just mirroring what I was living and seeing in Hollywood, you know, so when I stopped going up as like the nerdy character and just, you know, the impressions like Travolta and mm. Stallone, that would come at the end of the act. But you see, I I never cared less about stand up to this day. You know, I love it more now than ever, but it's not why I came in the business. I just figured, why not? Instead of going to acting school, which is what I really wanted to be, an actor, why not just get on a, once a week, you go to an acting school, why not get on stage every night of the week and develop my own method of acting? And in a place, because the 80s became, that was the golden years of stand-up, you know, um, and that's, you know, the comedy clubs is where all the big directors would come all the big producers would come looking for the new guy. You know, so I knew 
that, you know, like when I would come home from L.A. and visit my parents, my mother was really into the showbiz thing, and she was a glamorous woman, looked like Liz Taylor. Oh, wow. And she would ask me, like, you know, what I thought of, like, the stand-ups in L.A., and I said, well, you know, they're good, but they're boring. They know nothing about performance. They stand there like stick figures. And, see, I come from a world of singing, dancing, music, so I understood performance. I studied people like Elvis Presley and Buddy Rich, you know, not comedians. Jerry Lewis was great. I loved him in The Nutty Professor. That's the beginning and end of my love affair with Jerry Lewis, you know, that he could turn, which was hysterical, from the, uh, uh, actually, Miss Purdy, uh, into Buddy Love, which... Jerry used to say when my career took off that, you know, uh, it, it's like, it, it's almost like buddy love on acid. You know what I mean? But, yeah, that was a little buddy and dice. That was a little Fonzie and dice, Stallone, Travolta, all those kind of characters. But when I was, li you know, I lived in Brooklyn. I always had a girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And I'm a gentleman. Even to this day, I got, I got now... The, the, I call her Sugar Plum, my girlfriend. You're it's, a big flower it, guy. I know you always get a flower. You're romantic. Dice is romantic, Sal. Completely different than the stage dice, right. you know. And this is like the best girl in the world that I've ever been with. You know, I call it a love of my life. And I've never had a girl, you know, anybody will have you back for the first six months of a relationship. And then it's like, I want to go out with my friends Friday night and do some shots. I go, why don't you take luggage with it? Yeah. <laughs> you understand? Ah, that's, awesome. that's what they all turn yeah. into. Yeah. They come home late. I know I said I would come home by midnight, but we just got to talking, and then they said before I knew it, it's last call. Leave. <laughs> Just leave. Do you understand? I'm going through enough. And I went through a living hell when my career took off. Yeah. You know, even heavy girls. I know that's the politically correct way to say, yeah, you know, a different, horse. A different generation. You know, that, you know, you know, not that I even said, forget I said that. Yeah, right. You know, like if a girl looks like, I don't know, side of beef, that kind of thing. Yeah, I got you. you know, I, look, I'm, I'm the nicest guy in the world, but. If a girl, let's say, or a guy, we'll take a guy so girls don't think of it. Because I don't pick on them. Okay. The act is different, way different right. than it was years ago. But my point years ago is I would be with these women and, you know, beautiful women, you know. And, you know, like like I said, in Brooklyn, I dated a girl. I wouldn't even think of touching her for like a long time. Right. You know, very respectful. The little makeout session before they go in at the end of the day. I come out to LA. Listen to me. <laughs> a whole new set of rules. Whole different set of rules. It was insanity for me. I was 21. Absolutely gorgeous. I mean, look at the t shirt. That's a great There's a one. reason that guy, you know. A Brooklyn guy like that. Comics don't look like that. No, and that was the owner of the comedy store when I met her the Mitzi? first time, Mitzi Shaw. Yeah, you've talked about her a lot, yeah. Read yeah. the book. Number yeah. one, I uh, the 
for the night I auditioned, this is funny, you know, and I am Brooklyn. And if you think I'm cocky now, you had to meet me when I was 21. <laughs> so I come out to L.A. And, you know, auditions are at the comedy store, three minutes. Okay? That's what you're given, three minutes. I come up, uh, I do 21 minutes. Okay? So as I'm coming off the stage, here comes this guy screaming at me, you're never going to play this club again. Who the hell you think you are? Only he was cursing, you know. What year is this, real quick? Real, just th the year. This is 89. Gotcha, keep going, keep going. And a comic, Mitchell Walters, who saw me at Pips in Brooklyn, is the one that kept calling my father to have me come out to L.A. So I, I took the trip just to see what it's about. So this guy's screaming at me. And I look at him, I go, wait a minute, are you... Oh, no, 28 minutes I did. That was beautiful. You know, because I, I went from Jerry Lewis into Travolta. That, now I do the whole Grease Lightning number, yep. the song. I go into Stallone. I would go into Al Pacino, you know. So this guy's screaming at me, and I go, wait a minute. Because I, I don't want to get mad. I don't want, you know, I didn't come out there to fight somebody. I go, are you the owner of the club? <laughs> And he goes, no, I'm the MC. You need to get out of my way. You just need, let, let the owner of the club tell me this. So anyway, I don't meet Mitzi that night. But I get a call the next day from the talent guy at the comedy store going, you've been accepted as a paid regular, which never happens, you know. So I go to the comedy store, first taste of showbiz, real Hollywood. I'm walking in the parking lot. Out of a trailer, here comes Henry Mancini, who I knew because on the drums I would play things like Pink Panther and Peter Gunn. And right behind him, Kirk Douglas. Wow. Which I idolized. Mm -hmm. My name is Kirk Douglas. <laughs> so, which is Michael Douglas's yes, yes. Right. father, for people that don't know what I'm talking about, because you got a lot of idiots out there yeah. today. You, know. you think so? And you it, think the world's dumber now than it was back in the day? I, honestly, yeah. I am curious. If, if you're not looking at your phone, you ain't living life today, you know. So, anyway, <laughs> the point is that I sign, you know, I sign up the comedy store. I'm an independent, you know, person. And uh, they sent me to the Westwood Comedy Store that night. And the lady working the, the, the door there, when I came off stage, she was also from Brooklyn. Her name was Adele. And she goes, uh, Mitzi wants you to come back to Sunset in Hollywood. She wants to meet you now. So I come back to the Sunset Comedy Store, which is the main comedy store on the Sunset Strip. And she's, like, surrounded by all her pets. You know, at that time, Mitchell Walters, the guy who was one of the greatest joke writers ever. You know, he's passed away now. Ali Joe Prada, which was an incredible comic uh, and, and a very close. He's now a very close friend of mine. This guy, Alan Stevens, who wound up producing the Roseanne show the first time he produced Arliss. He toured with Kennison on the uh, Outlaw shows. You know, so he's a comic producer. So they're all there, and a couple other guys, and also there's another lady standing there. And Mitzi looks at the lady and goes, he's the best-looking comic I've ever seen in my life. He's not even a comic. He's a movie star. Like, like I'm not standing there. And it's kind of embarrassing because she's standing with, like, six other guys, mm -hmm. you know. One of them was about 400 pounds or more, Ali Joe Prater, and, uh, who was absolutely a great, great, great comic. And uh, so the other lady goes, he's handsome like my Lenny. 
It was Lenny Bruce's mother, Sally Moore, who I used to wind up. How do you remember all these names, dude? I, I remember mean, I, everything. You know how though? I mean, yeah. he just dropped fifty I names. Just, I just know my my history, and I used to wind up sitting at the Schwab's where they discovered Lana Turner years ago, because that was a drugstore slash diner. Uh-huh. It was something you could find in Brooklyn, uh-huh. you know? Uh-huh. What was it, your diner in Brooklyn? It, where, where it, was your, what was your go-to diner? Well, I, I loved the foursome. Uh, the foursome, that was where we went. I that loved the right across the street from you the Tiambo. I that, loved the foursome. That was Remember High Friedman right next to it? That, the clothing store, High Friedman. You had the furniture store. No, but that's where I got involved with underwear. <laughs> because what? even at a young age, I went, why is this just white? Okay. Like I even used to say to my mother, you know, who would take me shopping. I was a kid. Yeah. I go, what's with just the white underwear, ma? <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't they make all the colors for yeah, women? Yeah, they're called Wonder And the she Superman goes, don't, don't worry about it, Andrew, yeah. with what they're making for women. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, and so now I do a whole thing about underwear in the audience because they finally caught up in men's underwear, if you understand. I understand. Like, I you're not going to catch no me in Hades. Now, Jockey, out of all those old brands, yeah. they've upped their game. You know what I mean? <laughs> the tight-fitting ones you get? Yeah, they're, those are the best They're ones. trying the to make a statement. They're yeah. going, we're not staying in the past. We're modern underwear. So I'll always give Jockey some credit. But then here comes Hugo Boss. <laughs> you understand? Yeah, 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 yeah. Here comes Two Exist that they outlined oh, the exist. package with piping. <laughs> You know what I mean? And then if you want to get really nuts and you're on a special date, Tommy John's with the pouch. You understand? <laughs> the kangaroo pouch. Yeah, yeah you yeah, got the kangaroo. You, know, you, you know, she's sitting there. Hey, you want to see the golden tip? You know, <laughs> pull the pouch down, whatever. So see how I know how to do, like, uh, normal radio now? Right. Yes. So, oh, man, so, are, so oh, anyway, right next to Hyde no, Freeman, no. you know you know that big furniture store? Yeah, absolutely. It's when still I, empty, by the way, Dice. No, but when it's I was empty. a kid, you're going to love this because you know I come from there. I got right? you. Yeah. That was my father's store, and it was a toy store. That's where the toy store was. I know we it had a toy store. It was a giant store. toy store. Is this before store. you guys went to Staten Island? Yeah, my father owned it. The toy store. He tried to make it like a Toys R Us. Yeah. He used to bring me in there. Take anything you want, sonny boy, right? I used to go for... I only want the things that go in my pocket, like a silly putty, the thing you put your fingers and you can't get it out, <laughs> the buzzer to shock people. Uh-huh. I didn't care about the big toys. He goes... That's what you're taking from everything in the store? You want silly putty? You know. And that store didn't work out. We, uh, it, when he closed the store, he was also, his, his real love, my father's real love, was um, building. He was a great builder. His whole family were builders. So he built 52 houses called Silvertown Estates in Staten Island, right next to Willowbrook. And he built us a two-family house that my aunt lived downstairs. And we moved to Staten Island when I was seven till I was 12. Okay? Then you guys got and he built down, another right? neighborhood. Pushed right? out a little bit, right? What's that? Pushed out a little bit by... Uh... Well, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> you know. I do know that now, story. Now, my Go father ahead. was legit. You know what I mean? Yep. So all of a sudden, you know, I'm 12 years old. <laughs> and here comes my father. He's going... We're moving to Florida. <laughs> Out of nowhere. And my mother loved Florida, so she didn't care. You know, she loved sitting in the sun, you know, the whole thing. So next thing you know, we're in Florida for about six months. 
But everybody missed, because even when we lived in Staten Island, we were always in Brooklyn at, at Dubrow's on King's Highway, this diner. And um, so we moved back to Brooklyn. We moved in with my grandmother. And uh, my father started learning the process serving industry. He started serving subpoenas and stuff, and then he opened up a business on Court Street. And, and you we, worked there. And that's where we lived there. on Nostrand Avenue. Yep. Yep. You know, and then when I started with the showbiz, you know, I come to him and I go, Dad, look, you know, uh, I'll never forget this because when I, I I got so popular with the Travolta act, it was like an Elvis impersonator. Right. We were selling out places. And I was playing places like the Fun House in Manhattan, you know, these giant discos. And, um, you know, and for, for real money, you know. And at that time, you know, to get up and do Jerry Lewis and Travolta and get $700, $800, and, and not even having to talk. Go on as the nutty professor. Uh, the music, uh, uh, you should be dancing. All the, the lights go out. The lights come on. Now I'm Travolta from Fever doing all the dancing. <clears throat> you know, here's your money. You know, it, it was crazy, you know. And, you know, my dad till the end even though I was always with, like, the biggest managements, I wouldn't make a move without him. Mm -hmm. You know? He trusted I, his guidance. I went with Sandy Gallen, who handled Dolly Parton, uh, Sylvester Stallone, Whoopi Goldberg, Neil Diamond, all giant. He was the biggest manager in, in, like, Hollywood history at that point, and he wants to sign me. I go, well, you got to talk to my father. And you're, what, 21 at this point? No, no, now, now, now the career is... Hitting. Got I just aired on the Rodney special. Yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. You know. Gotcha. All gotcha. right. What would you want to well, say about Carnegie Hall? You want to know how that happened? If it's up to us, I wouldn't get off the air all day. Yeah. I'd sit here with you. I'd get a couple of a bottle how of much something time good. We got. we got as much time as we need. Oh, we're nice done at two, here. so you're hanging until two if you can. Yeah, we got it. This yeah. is, this is awesome. And uh, obviously, the big show at Carnegie Hall, February fifteenth. We'll do. We'll, we'll promote it for you. TikTok, IG. Well, we'll February fifteenth. I can't wait to go. For the record, before you get what you have to get to, BT. I just want to tell you, I've seen you in a lot of different places. I'm somebody that grew up on Dice Rules. That was my first experience, okay, right? Okay, the garden. Uh, yeah, and exactly. And I'm crushed because it would be my dream to see you at the garden. I was a kid there. I was 10 years old, whatever, maybe less. And then I find out that you were there doing it for opening for Bill Burr. I wish I knew about that. Unfortunately, I didn't, but I will make sure I'm at uh, Carnegie Hall okay, on the 15th. so I'm going to tell you something now. All right. So the reason these like bigger places are going on again you know, I went through, just like you, you get old that things happen. Uh, I had a big bout with what you call Bell's palsy. My whole face was hanging like a basset hound. This happened a few years ago. And, yeah, my mouth was down to here. My eye was down to the tip of my nose. It was not. The night it happened, I did two shows. I didn't stop doing my shows. Jesus. And I would just make fun of what happened to me. Mm -hmm. Okay. So... You know, I've never lost um, the fire that it takes to, you know, I don't care if I'm in a club, a theater, it doesn't matter where I am. I play every room like it's an arena. You know, that you know that never went away. And in certain performers, you do lose that fire. And you sort of phone it in, never happened with me. So I'd have these big conversations about a year ago with my agent, Pete Papalotto, people that know him, you know, and tell him, 
I'd be sitting on the street in New York, you know, after I just destroyed a couple people with my camera, you know, my phone. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I would say, you know, I, I have that feeling, but I'm afraid to go up, you know, and go bigger because what if I get another attack, whatever, you know, it's mm -hmm. scary, you yeah. know. All of a sudden you feel your neck pulling, whatever it is. So all of a sudden... Uh, it it this is all you know. Bill Burr lit the switch again, and I don't even think he today's to this day he realizes what was going on with me physically. Okay, and not about my body. I train from here on going to a gym, right? You know, so um, he's at the Prudential Center in Newark. Okay, and he's like one of my top favorites. So I say to Sugar Plum, my girlfriend. Why don't we go see Bill Burr? You know, I'll text him. If he feels weird about it, I won't go. That's like if Rodney came to see me. I know Bill's been a big fan since the beginning. So when, you know, a guy that came before you comes see, you feel like you got to do better than you would normally. So I asked him, if you're going to feel weird, I don't have... He goes, no, I want you here. So all the way to, to the show, I'm, I'm actually goofing on my girlfriend going... Oh, man, I haven't done an arena in, I don't know, 23 years. 23 years ago, I went back to the garden. I did the beacon in the garden mm -hmm. in the same week. And um, so I walk into Bill's dressing room because my girlfriend goes, you're not on the bill. <laughs> you know, because I commit to whatever I do. She goes, I don't know. Maybe he'd want you to introduce. I, I, I don't know. I can't think of that. You know, we're going to see his show. Uh, uh, Club Soda Kenny, who's been Bodyguard. with me many years, and he works for Bill now. So he walks me into Bill's dressing room. Bill gets up. He's got this big smile, and he goes, Dice, you're going to do some time, right? My stomach dropped. <laughs> now the joke's on me. Did it drop as much as your face dropped or no? Uh, yeah, it really did. <laughs> I thought you would appreciate you know, that. I'm obviously yeah, uh, kidding. It, but, it really know, did because I'm, like, I'm looking at him, you know, and I say, I I'm not here for that. That's, yeah. you know, because he doesn't know what, what I'm going through, you know, medically, whatever. And uh, I go, no, I'm not doing it. I came to see you because but you're in your leather jacket, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Because I have, like, fancier leathers yeah. that I wear just to go out, you know. And I go, he goes, I go, I, I don't know, you know. Uh, and I'm looking at my girlfriend. I go, maybe I'll introduce you. <laughs> you know? And he goes, do whatever you want. I just want you to go on the stage, uh, you know. So Club Soda Kenny, who's always introduced me, he still works for me, you know. And the introduction is from Brooklyn, New York, the undisputed heavyweight king of comedy, and they start yelling, the crowd, before they even see me, Andrew Dice Clay. And I came up to the song Unbelievable, mm. which is a song that was written about me by EMF, yep. which they sampled me throughout the song. And, um, and I just killed the crowd. Like, the minute I felt them, you know, like I'm looking at first and I'm like, let them have it. You know, because now I'm feeling good. I don't feel my face. I don't feel anything. Just kill him and introduce Bill. So so I do that. And then a few weeks later, this is crazy. My whole life changed the last quarter of last year. Um, I get a text on a Monday night because I was always close with Guns N' Roses. And I get a text from the road manager. Congratulations. We'll see you tomorrow night at the 
MetLife Stadium, you'll open for the band. Because I did, when they did the Rose Bowl many years ago, I'm the only comic that they would even think of having, so I went on between Metallica and Guns N' Roses. So here they are at MetLife, so they want me to open the show. I get this 11.30 on a Monday night. So I sit on the couch, and I'm looking at my girlfriend going, you, you don't understand what, what I just got on the phone. This is nuts. And when I tell her what it is, she goes, you don't have to do that. You know that. I go, no, but I do. That's who I am. You know? That's why they call me like the Rocky of comedy, right? Guys, I, I, I got to take a break. You got to hang with us a little bit more. Is that cool? Yeah. Okay, good. Let me get a quick break. We'll come back. We got you till 2. Dice in studio. BT and Sal on the fan. Call of the day with Brendan Tierney and Sal Licata on the fan. All right, so that uh, Odyssey Sports Minute was brought to you by Jack Pocket. Excuse me, order official state lottery games on your phone. So anyway, I'm at, I'm backstage at the MetLife, right? Waiting to go on for GNR. Yeah. Okay? So here comes the road manager. Now, you got to understand, this is 60,000-plus people now. And they're not there for stand-up comedy. They're there for music. It was different with Bill Burr. It's a comedy crowd. So now me and my girlfriend, we start walking towards the stadium, and you start seeing through the bleaches just tens of thousands of people, right? And they introduce me, you know, just like at the Prudential. I come walking out there, and the crowd is going. They really excited. I mean, it's over 60,000 people, and the minute they see it's me, they just, they got up. They actually got up, you know. So just to let them know it was me, you know, it gets quiet. I go, little boy blue, he needed the money. Oh, and they went ballistic. You understand? I got you. You know, Jack be nimble, Jack be quick. Jack burned something off his stick. Whatever. Oh, I know we're on uh, torrential radio, so I can't do the real poem. You know what I mean? appreciate the audible. Little Miss Muffet, she sat somewhere. Uh, so, So anyway, after that, right? Now Bill Burr's going into the garden for, for comedy, you know, week. He makes me his special guest that nobody's going to know about oh. till I go on at the garden, which comics today now call the garden the house that Dice built for comedians. Right, like the Dane Cook. Get the hell out of here. No, when, uh, when, you when were I, the man. No, when I was the first to do arena comedy in the world. Steve Martin, I think, did a night at the garden, but I was the first. My first tour was... It wound up 21 shows, and the last two shows were at the Garden. You know, I'm the first to do two shows in a row. And you're talking about a 4 by 4 ad that would come out in newspapers. No internet, no followers, nobody, just the ad. And I'd sell half a million to 700,000 tickets across the country. Oh, dude, that is unbelievable. So Jeez. Bill Burr makes me this special guest. But now this is the place I built. And now... I got two months to think about it, okay? So what's funny is the night before the Garden Show, now Bill is top, top of his game, okay? And But I am an animal, you know? I just am on stage. And I pride myself as a concert performer. And the night before the show, here comes my... Go you know how Rocky had Mickey? Yeah, of course. Okay. 
So I'm sitting on the couch and I'm really thinking about the show, you know, because it's a moment for me. It's like, well, I haven't done the garden in 23 years. I did it in 1990 two times. I came back in 2000, did it again, sold it out. And here we are again. And she comes out and she goes, listen, I know you're thinking about being light about it tomorrow night. She goes, this is comedy month in L in New York. She goes, this is the peak of it all, that garden show. She goes, do not hold back, you know. And I go, no, but, you know, it's his show. She goes, he knows who you are. He knows who he's putting on that stage. She goes, let him have it, you know. So I go, you're right. She's unreal. I mean, if you ever meet my girl, she's just unreal. So here I am at, you know, my feet are on, on the stairs, Club Soda Kenny, you know, Starts the intro from Brooklyn, New York, the undisputed heavy. I come up, the place just goes ballistic, okay? And I let him have it, okay? I let him have it the way I know I could let him have it. And Bill, and then I introduced Bill, and uh, he was funny because his opening thing was, he's laughing, you know, and he grabs the mic and he goes, well... You know, it's nice to see how Dice has mellowed in his golden years. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. oh no, he's he's an amazing, yeah. amazing guy. So I thank him for bringing me back on these bigger than life stages. And then here comes Carnegie Hall. You know, going, we want Dice. 30 years ago, they didn't want me to walk on their block. <laughs> Do you know, when we were doing, uh, we did this, like, uh, a thing in front of Carnegie Hall when the day we were going on sale, and, you know, I'm stopping people like I do on Instagram, which if you look at my Instagram, it's almost like the day the laughter died, only in real life. Right. Where I'm coming over to people on Instagram, tick, you know, and they have no you idea know, who with, you are. I'm like, you what know, the hell? No, but that's the beauty yeah, of it, right. you know. And now and then I put up the ones that know yes, me, which is great. But it's way funnier when when you come over to somebody at an airport and go, look, I, I you know, and I'm bundled up. I go, I, I I've done a, a, so many of them today, but. You know, if you want the picture, you know, I, I don't mind giving you the picture. And this lady looks at me and she goes, I, I don't even know. What do you want? Who are you? You know, I don't even know who you are, sir. You know, it's, it's brilliant. It, it's the great. I, I come over to, I got Matt Damon. Oh, right? I saw that at the airport. Oh, that was amazing. And he my, knew. I, I didn't see this no, one. No, no, my opening oh. act, Eleanor Kerrigan. Okay, that, yes. she's my feature. She comes. By the way, I was at me. her first show, the one where the crowd wasn't very nice, and you had to get on. I you was know. like, oh, don't screw it up because Dice is not going to perform here for us. No, Eleanor is a killer. Yes. Well, she her kills first ever every show. show. Oh, you're talking about Westbury? Yes. On yeah, she Island. was doing comedy for three months. I didn't know it was her and first I show. Put her out there. Yeah. It's a goof. Yeah. And uh, it's yeah. A goof. Yeah, it's a goof. I like, got you got to start somewhere. Why yeah. not West And the crowd was uh -huh. just nasty. It's only 3,500 people, you know. But today, she's one of the best. She's, she, Jim Norton and Eleanor Kerrigan are the two best openers I've and ever And she's had. in a lot of your videos. So Matt yeah. Damon didn't know? No. So Eleanor comes over. I'm sitting waiting to get on a plane. And she goes, I think Matt Damon's over there with his wife. So I go, well, I got to know, you know. So she comes back a minute later. She goes, it is him. I go, well, now that you said it, I got to do it. <laughs> okay. So here I come. Here comes the putts, you know, bundled up. 
excuse me, are you the one they said wanted the picture? And he's looking like, no, no, you know. And then, you know, it's like any acting role. You know, when I get in that frame of mind, I'm that guy. So I got to, like, pop out of it quick to go, Matt, it's really Andrew Dice Clay. How you doing? And he gets up, he goes, oh, I had no, you know, I'm thinking this is some, you know, like, you know, that I got to do a Born Legacy move on you, you know. Uh, he's sitting with his wife, and here comes yeah. this guy all bundled up. Are you the one they said? And what I always like about that is, who said? Yeah. I went over to a lady when when I went to Florida a few weeks ago. It's a giant Starbucks at, uh, at LaGuardia, right? So this lady's just on the phone, and here I come. You know, I go, excuse me? Hi. You know, uh, they told me, and I'm pointing back at the giant, you know, Bar of Starbucks. It's a law. It's a big. They said you wanted the picture, and she's looking, just shaking her head, like no. But where is somebody to go? Who said? <laughs> I don't know anybody working here at the Starbucks. Who would tell you? Right. But people oh, today. That's what's interesting to uh, me, because that's what I love about the Instagram. They can't get enough. You of do this. it on TikTok and Instagram. Well, well, my girlfriend handles. She loads it up to TikTok. Okay. I handle Instagram and Facebook, and um, but I mean now on the on the uh, on the Instagram, I'm getting like a couple thousand followers a day. It's just taking on a life of its own. Joe Rogan mm. went off about it with with Jim Norton like days before the New York Times came out with that giant article last week, which took me by storm, talking about, you know, this guy is like this great performance artist like Andy Kaufman and people. And I'm going, oh, now you're catching now on? Now they get it, huh? Because when my career, when I did the Dice Man Cometh, that first <sighs> mm -hmm. special, very next day, New York Times, the demise of Western civilization. <laughs> Andrew Day. And now it's like the genius. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so finally he's an actor. Brilliance. He, he knows how to act. Yeah. That's what it's always been about. Got, but, but hey, Dad, real fast. You know what I think? Obviously, your content is top nine. I, I don't know if you've ever gotten this but before. But wait, well, I just got to say this. Go ahead. And then you say whatever no, you good, want, and then you could yeah, talk well, if you want. Thank anyway. you, guys. Yeah. You know, no, because <laughs> I, I do want people to know that are coming to Carnegie Hall. Yep. They're not going to get the guy. As a matter of fact, the jacket I'm having made for yeah. it will get a standing ovation on it. I could put it out there on a hanger and people should stand up for the jacket alone. You know, it, it, when I come out there, it's not about the guy on the street. Uh-huh. You know, right. it's it's who I am as a concert performer. Because certain people have asked me in the street, go, when you go on stage at Carnegie Hall, are you, you going to be bundled up like that with the scarf? It, no. <laughs> Does nobody have common sense anymore? I, I really like, not really. Why would they think that's what I'm gonna do? <laughs> why would they think? Yeah, let me let me put on my 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 moose knuckle coat with my giant scarf and a couple hats and glasses, <laughs> you know, and come out there and be nice uh, and warm. Want the leather? You know, and go. Are you the crowd that wanted the picture? <laughs> it's a different thing. It's a goof, just like the day the laughter died. Seeing people walk out when you're recording an album and cursing you out because it was an unsuspecting crowd, that album, is the funniest thing in the world to me. It was great. That's why I did those albums. And I did 
the day after died, part one, right after I did Dice Rules at the Garden. I wanted to do something different. I wanted to make up an album. Yeah. So when I yeah when I come out of Carnegie, it's to annihilate the crowd. It's what I do. You know. Uh, am, am, we'll I am, I, am I allowed to read something? No, I'm sure you I'm to. to read do, something. Do you you know, nobody do messes with BT and Sal. Yeah, BT and Sal oh, do the messing, but the Dice Man's a little different. Look, 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 look. Big shot with the with the with the papers. <laughs> look, big shot. Big shot. You're gonna read something to the public. Go ahead, big shot. Try to do it in the last twenty minutes. Go ahead, big shot. Everybody's a big shot the minute they got an announcement. Of course, the the BT and Sal account of the day brought to you by Ramsey Mazda. Choose wisely. Choose Ramsey Mazda. February fifteenth. The Dice Man, Andrew Dice Clay. Dude, this was awesome, man. I wish we had more Thank time. You, we Dice. just don't. Well, you're the ones that told me to get here when you told me to get here. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't know you were here. Yeah. minute there's a microphone, everybody's a big shot. Everybody, at least you guys are on the air, yeah. you know, because I, I really can't take anymore with the podcast thing. No, this is real you radio. Know, you know, people used to say to me, you know, I always go to the gym, I wear giant headphones, you know. What's with the big headphones? And now all you see... Uh, uh, when you scroll the TikToks and the ends of everybody like this, slouched in a couch like they're all megastars, these nobodies. Well, they're no dices. They are no dice clays. Giant headphones. Yeah. Well, you know what I think? And I'm like, who cares what you think? Who are you? Dice, you're the man. Y you know what I mean? All right, we got to go. start a podcast. Uh, who love you, man. This was awesome. We will see you Let guys tomorrow at 10. <laughs> I'm going to do the whole thing at Carnegie Hall. Hickory Dickory Doc. This chick is... We got Evan and Tiki next. The Dice Man is only one of this guy. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.